If you want to test a friendship, talk about politics. Talk about what your favorite political party is. Talk about what you think about the current president. If you want to test a friendship, talk politics. And I know that's, that's a horrible idea. <laughs> it's a really, really bad idea because when people talk politics, they get fired up. They get entrenched in whatever their political opinion happens to be. And even if everyone in your conversation circle thinks exactly the same way that you do when it comes to politics, you still get fired up about that other side that isn't there. And man, oh, those times when you square off against someone else who thinks completely differently than you do, this unproductive, unloving debate happens. And friendships can be lost, and friendships have been lost. So why talk about politics then? Well, this week, we're going to dive into patience, how to have patience in this sin-saturated world. And man, when it comes to politics, we need patience, more patience, growing patience. Because when there is red versus blue and there is Democrat and Republican and Libertarian and Independent and the list goes on from there, there's a divide. And anytime there's a divide, you need more patience. I heard a sermon recently on this subject matter, and it was excellent, really well done. The pastor had three main points, and I, I want to share those with you because they really help me, because I get pretty fired up when it comes to talking politics. And his encouragement, and now my encouragement to you as well, is this. When it comes to politics, to have patience, listen, learn, and love. Now, listen. The best thing you can do when it comes to politics is listen. Listen to the other side. Sit down and have a coffee with someone who thinks completely different from you and ask them what. What are the policies they stand for? What is the plan to have those policies come into play? What is it going to cost? What's the time frame? What does a win look like? And now remember, you're listening. You're not debating. You're not counterpointing them. You're just understanding their what? And when you do that for someone, when you show them that incredible respect of just getting to know them, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes they'll then ask you your what, and you can talk about what you feel with politics. Listen, and you're not done listening until you can explain their position just as well as they do, or even better. Until you get to that point, continue to listen. Next, learn. Learn them. Learn their why. Remember, the first one was learn the what. Now you're learning the why. There is a reason why they have such a strong political stance of the programs that they want to see happen. So understand their why. Get to know them. Because you have a why. There's a reason why you are so firm in the beliefs that you have in politics. So understand that other person's why. Show them that respect. Show them that honor. And so often they'll ask you why you feel what you feel. And then you have an actual talk, not a debate and not anger. And then finally, love. It is possible. It really actually is possible to show love to someone who thinks about politics completely differently than you do. My wife and I have got a couple of really close friends from our former church. And let me tell you, they think completely different from us on the political spectrum. 
but we've learned their what. We've learned their why. We've educated ourselves and learned things. We've learned about them. And so I have greater patience with them and with anybody else because of doing just that. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gives this list of what love truly is. All these attributes, the way you see love in action. Do you remember what the first one was? It's this. Love is patient. So if you want patience when it comes to politics, just remember. Remember those three things. To listen, learn, and love. And when you do, it'll grow your patience, change your understanding, and give you a lot more peace. The night before Jesus died, he sat down with his disciples and he gave them a warning. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus hadn't yet died on Good Friday. Jesus hadn't yet rose on Easter Sunday, but yet he said that truth so strongly because it is true. Jesus has overcome the world. Well, then why did Jesus say that there'll be suffering? I mean, if it is true that Jesus died on Good Friday, taking away the sins of the world, which he has, if it's true that Jesus rose to life on Easter Sunday and destroyed the power of sin, death, and Satan, which he has, then why do we suffer? Why is there suffering in this world? Why did Jesus have to warn his disciples there would be suffering? You know there is suffering. You've experienced it. You are experiencing it. So what is that for you? What, what is your suffering right now? What is suffocating your satisfaction in this life? What is your pain that's going on right now? And when you're in that pain, it's so hard to focus on anything but that pain. But yet Jesus warned us it was going to be here. In fact, when he warned the disciples, he also prayed for them. And he prayed not that they be taken from the world. Jesus prayed not that the suffering be taken from the disciples, but that they be protected from the evil one in this world. So in this world, you will have suffering. So why is it there then? It's so hard to have patience in our lives when we're tumbling around in anxiety because of the unknown and what is known of the suffering that's there. And so God gives you these incredible words. These come from the book of Romans, chapter 5. And God gives us encouragement that since there is suffering, there's purpose behind it. And he says, we also glory in our sufferings. How would you glory in your suffering? Why would you want the suffering? But God says, we glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. The suffering that we endure in this life is there to give us a reminder that this home no longer is our home. Because this home is broken and sin-saturated, that our home truly is in heaven. And that suffering that's here then reminds us that we aren't whole by ourselves here. We need someone else. We need God to help us and to smooth us out and to give us peace. When I was a kid, it was cool to have a rock tumbler. Do you know what those are? It's this kind of tube or, or cylinder, maybe about this big around and about that long. And it was solid on the end, but open on the top. And you'd grab rocks from your yard or from vacation. You'd toss them in there. 
You throw in a, a little grit and a little bit of water and you just turn this rock tumbler on. And you let that thing go for like a day or two or three days and it would just thud and thud and thud around. Probably not fun for the rocks. But at the end of that tumbling cycle and you turned it all off, when you pulled out those once hard-edged, kind of dirty rocks, they were beautiful. They were almost gem-like. The rough parts were gone. They were smoothed and polished because of what they had gone through. God tells us that the sufferings that we endure produce this perseverance. And God has given you a spiritual grit. God has given you the trust that God Almighty is always there with you. And he grows you through it. As we thud up against this world, it reminds us that this world is not our home. And it breaks off our connections to the sins that we want to hold on to. It breaks off our connections to this world that is going to burn and to go away. And it polishes us. It refines us. Through suffering as we trust in God and his love and his forgiveness, God changes you and makes you beautiful so that others see what you go through and how you go through it and want to learn about Christ. The suffering of this world has a purpose and that purpose is to grow you and others closer to Christ. May that give you peace and may that give you patience in what you're going through because you are not alone. God goes with you and he's making you new. When I was a child, man, I loved going to the mailbox. It was so exciting that there possibly, maybe, could be something in the mailbox for me. And of course, there just never was. Now as an adult, I straight up dread going to that mailbox because I know exactly what's going to be in there. There's going to be bills, bills, more bills, reminders about future bills, you know, your dentist appointment and your car needs oil. And you know what it's like, you know, you work so hard, so hard to try to get ahead in life and all these unexpected bills come in. The, the car breaks down and taxes go up and you got a busted arm or a broken water pipe and there's a dead spot in the lawn. Oosh, it looks awful and the, the lawnmower breaks down and on and on and on. It is so hard to have patience when it comes to our finances and our, our bank accounts that seem to be doing this. And that patience is so much more difficult to have when you look around and almost everywhere you look, everybody else seems to be getting by and, and doing well, doing great. You know, Marty in your neighborhood just got a brand new Mustang and, and Brad at work, man, he talked about the beautiful trip he went with his family to Belize and, and Nancy's nails. Oh, they look so great. You know, she's got that standing appointment to get her nails done. Claire's clothes are beautiful and her shoes are to die for. I mean, we look around and we see all these other things that people have and we don't and it's hard. And we say, God, what gives? Where's my extra? Where's my pampering? Where's my one, one more? I mean, I, I love you, God. I, I serve you. I worship you. I, I watch these devotions. I, I try to do what's right. Why does everyone else seem to get ahead? And I just, I can't. David wrote a psalm about having patience with, with finances. It's a psalm that a lot of people don't know that well. In fact, when I did studying for this is when I really unearthed the, the truth of, of this psalm. It's Psalm 37. 
And see, David's got a unique perspective. He knows what it's like to have next to nothing and then have everything and then to lose it all. If you remember, David was that simple shepherd boy, not a lot of money in that family. And then he's the youngest, so he's the runt. He knew what it was to be looked over for even food. Then David becomes king, one of the most powerful kings in the world, one of the most influential, wealthy people in the world. And then he lost that crown and he's running around for his life. And David's got that unique perspective and and gives us some encouragement with peace for finances. He says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still. And what that means is don't worry. God's got it. Don't fret. God's got a plan. And even when you look around and you see people getting ahead of you and they're doing it in a dishonest way, And we go, God, why? Why are you not helping me? And you seem to be helping them. David even says this. This is verse 2. He says, Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. David gives you encouragement to not fear that God has this incredible plan. And it's a a plan to bless you and, and not to harm you. A plan that he has set for you. This world is not your home. And so the stuff of this world, you you just can't take it with you. What God is encouraging us to always remember is what's truly valuable and truly important when it comes to this world. And it's not our finances. It's not the stuff. What matters the most is your relationship with God and your relationship with others. That's the greatest gift that God gives. And to give anything else or to be given Anything else gives an incredible blessing into our lives. God wants us to have that perspective. David came to that perspective here in Psalm 37. David, as he's on the run, even finding a piece of fruit on the ground was something to be cherished suddenly. If you remember Titanic, uh, when the boat is sinking, a wealthy woman runs into her stateroom, past her jewelry, to grab a bag of fruit. Suddenly that was precious. And David says this in verse 16, better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. God wants your perspective to be so thankful for even the little that you have because in that little, you're wealthy when it comes from God. I want to change your perspective to close here. I want you to know this. Did you know that if you have a dollar in your pocket, at least a dollar in your pocket or in your purse? Did you know that if you have at least a dollar saved away in a bank and you can walk in with your good name and they'll give it to you? Did you know that if you have a home with a front door that locks and if you have a home that has some food in it that you're not going to eat today, you'll eat eventually someday. If you have all those things, which I'm assuming you have, you are wealthier than 70% of the world. God has not forgotten you. God has truly blessed you. When you put things into perspective, you see God's grace. And when you see that, it'll give you patience in your finances. Disciplining a child is extremely, extremely difficult. I've learned that as a parent, even if you're not a parent, maybe you remember hearing from your parents when they were disciplining you, this hurts me far worse than it's hurting you. When I heard that, I was like, no, spanking hurts. Like, this is, this is really tough. 
But as a parent, now I understand that difficult balance of how do you discipline with patience when your kids are just ruthless and rude and you didn't raise them to be like that. Let me tell you, as a parent, I have failed. I have failed a lot in my life. And my wife called me out on it. I grew up in a household where there was spanking, yeah, balanced spanking, but spanking that was there. And so one of my daughters was hitting just with fists her sister. And so I pulled her over and just disciplined her. I gave her one swat on the butt. And my wife came over to me later and said, that seems like that's a mixed message. I'm like, ah, you're right. I don't know if that really makes a lot of sense. And, and maybe you're like me. Maybe it's happened where you've yelled at your kids for yelling at their siblings. Maybe you've also screamed, if I don't scream, you can't hear me. And we lose our temper. It is so difficult, so incredibly difficult to have that patience, to have that balance when it comes to disciplining. And so there is a passage that has really helped me have a better balance in my life when it comes to my parenting, whether that is me taking care of my kids or there's a nephew or niece there or I'm at a sports camp helping out. This passage is great from Proverbs. It says, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. So how do you do that? How do you have patience when it comes to disciplining a child? And the easiest way I have found is to try to get eye level. So let me do that here. I'm going to push away the stool that I've been using so my legs aren't falling asleep while we're here recording. And I have found that when I'm with my daughters, and I've got little ones, and if I get eye level to them, it's really hard for me to stir up an anger when I'm talking eye level. And when I have stirred up an anger, I've also learned to apologize. To get eye level to my daughter and to say, Daddy messed up, Daddy lost his temper, will you please forgive me? And to model for them what that exactly looks like. And to have discipline, there's, there's got to be consequences, but when you're eye level, there's a patience that comes in. Maybe you've got older uh, kids, and so for, the, for you, with them, you could sit down on the couch. Rather than standing over your child and yelling and screaming, which happens so easily, but when you're eye level, there's this patience that can come out of you, a, a balance when it comes to discipline. And God has this amazing thing to say when it comes to discipline here in the book of Hebrews. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. How can you bring a harvest of righteousness to your child, to your nephew, to your niece, to someone you're helping at a sports camp when you're losing your temper? So get eye level with them. Bring righteousness to them and they'll be trained by it. When you live that way, when you live differently in your discipline, it'll make all the difference to bring patience to them and patience will come out of them. If you know anyone in high school or if you are in high school right now, you know that there is an incredibly pressuring decision that anyone who is in high school has to make. And there's a question connected to that decision that if you meet someone that you don't know very well who's in high school, 
it's the question you ask them. Ironically, it's the same exact question that gets asked of people in high school when, when you love them and you care about them. And that question is simply this. So, what are you gonna do with your life? In other words, what college are you gonna go to? What major are you gonna study in that college? And there's this pressure on high school students before Christmas of their senior year, so a lot of them aren't even 18 yet, to find out exactly what they're going to do with their life for the rest of their life. That's tough. I mean, think about it for a second. A bank does not trust someone who is under 18 to make financially wise decisions, won't give them a loan, but yet you can go off to college and spend tens and tens of thousands of dollars. A, the US government will not allow someone who's under 18 to vote in election, don't trust their judgment skills, but yet we ask someone who's under 18 to figure out everything they're gonna do with their entire life. There's a lot of pressure that's there. Now, I bring this up for three reasons. I wanna give peace. I wanna speak peace in the hearts of anyone about to go into high school, in high school, who's facing this decision. I wanna give you encouragement. If you know someone, love someone in high school, give you some words of wisdom. And then finally, the third one, I'll tell you later. So here's the advice. The advice that I give to high school students, I work with seniors all the time in high school, and I see that pressure on them. And this is what I tell them. When it comes to choosing your college or the career path you're gonna go on, you are choosing a direction, not a destination. Again, you're choosing a direction to go, not a destination. And the reason I know that is absolutely true is about 75% of college students change their major when they get to college. They think they're gonna go to this, and they study a while and go, oh man, that's not what I thought it was. And they change their major. About 75% change their mind. And then when a college student graduates and they got a degree in finance or a degree in teaching or a degree in engineering or whatever it is, about 75% of those college students go into a different career path, a different field. Now, I'm no math doctor, but that's not a high percentage of people who are in high school, choose a career, stay that career for their entire life. So you're choosing a direction, not a destination. If you know someone who is in high school, you can give peace to their heart, patience to them as they're, they're making this career path choice of using those words. You're choosing a direction, not a destination. And finally, this is the third truth I want to speak to everyone. If you, if you are over the age of 18 and you changed, you changed your major in college, you changed jobs, if you changed jobs last week and you're going, man, I failed, you didn't. You made the best decision you had at that time. You planned your course of action but things change. And if you involved God in that decision, you didn't fail. I repeat, you didn't fail. And that's absolutely what God says here in the book of Proverbs, verse 16. I wanna speak this peace, this truth into your heart. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord determines their steps. If your pathway changed, you didn't fail. 
God is with you. So have that peace, have that comfort in anything, whether it's the choice you make with going off to college, whether it's a choice to change career paths, whatever choice that is ahead of you, you're picking a direction, not a destination. And when you know that truth, it's gonna give you patience. Hey friends, you may or may not know that Time of Grace Ministries is 100% donor supported. You know what that means? We wouldn't be here without you at all. Thank you. We're so grateful for the ways that you allow us to encourage others with the word of God and if God would move you in your heart to be able to, or to do that again, we'd, uh, we'd be so grateful. Click on the link below and you'll find more opportunities to support the ministry. Hey, it's Amber L.B. Swenson. You might remember when my podcast, Little Things, was right here on Grace Talks. Or maybe you've never heard of me. Either way, I want to invite you to listen to Little Things, which is now its own podcast. We take a look at little things and little ways that we can change our thinking to know and love God more. So please check out Little Things wherever you listen to your podcasts.